1: Welcome to another episode of Best Ball Bros, where we're here to celebrate with the mock draft champion of the world, NFL wizard, Josh Norris. Hope everybody brought some bubbly to enjoy this, uh, I guess this is almost like a happy hour. We're celebrating Josh Norris. Don't look at his mock draft from this year, look at last year. We're celebrating Josh Norris and maybe getting to know Josh a little bit better today. Best Ball Bros, let's have some fun. save this i save this background for anybody watching on youtube we got uh, this is josh grinding this
0: is josh grinding the tape someone so, made a uh, hilarious comment that it looks like i'm drinking a carton of chicken stock <laughs> <laughs> cheers it does, it kind <laughs> it kind
1: it, it, it kind of does but um yeah this is such a good this makes me feel like i'm in the in the room with you like, i guess it, it's kind of awkward cuz i see you on my screen and, right. and behind me but, um, so first question before we get into anything, the thing that I ask every single person on this show in your fantasy sports career, what is the absolute worst like player take you've had? Oh. Someone, so, someone someone you've you've recommended to the people,
0: even if it was a long time ago.
1: Yeah. What's the
0: worst what's the worst take? Um, I mean, if I can link like draft stuff to fantasy stuff, is that okay? Yeah, run, I it, had a, whatever,
1: I, whatever works.
0: I had, I mean, there's a lot of them. I had a King <laughs> Butler as wide receiver one that year. Oh, baby.
1: That's a good one.
0: I like that. Um, I think I, I, I might've had Josh Rosen as quarterback one in his class too. Oof. And that was, you know, Lamar. That was Josh Allen. That was Baker and Sam. Mm. Um, in fact, that Draft season, I was on it's like one of my few appearances on Good Morning Football, and they haven't asked me back since. So <laughs> I wouldn't either if 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 I was them.
1: Um was Kay on the show back oh, then? Yeah. So, hey, so
0: Kay, Kay and I have a, a long history. Um Kay's a
1: St. Louis gal. Yes, I don't know her. I is. don't know her personally, but my wife um through a through a friend knows knows Kay. So.
0: so my start at NBC. Uh first I was a freelancer. And I was working, you know, ungodly hours because (laughs) I turned their college football section into an NFL draft section and was really a one man band doing all the news and all the write-ups and all that type of stuff for Roto-World. And just, you know, again, working just crazy hours. And then Mm -hmm. at the time, my manager found my reel from college uh, (laughs) at Elon and they had just open these massive new studios uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. They're like, we, we don't have any digital video. Why don't you come up here and, and start doing that. Digital host was Kay Adams. So Kay and I um, for a year, a year and a half would do a video once a week in those studios. And Eric, I was, can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. (laughs) I mean, so bad. And, like part of me wishes that those videos were still in existence. Yeah. But I'm so glad that they're not. Maybe it was in Kay's contract that they got deleted. Yeah, I, Kay probably got them deleted. They wouldn't I be was, they, they wouldn't be
1: gone if it weren't for her probably. with
0: where I she was is now. so bad. Like it was to the point because when you start doing on camera stuff, at least in like a studio and television and all that jazz, you want to like write a script in your head and like memorize <laughs> it word for word and repeat it <laughs> over and over. And so I was a robot, you know, Yeah. yeah. and so I would, <laughs> I would just not listen to what she was saying, have this thing in my head, go on for a minute and like throw it back to her. And she's like the absolute best at, uh, you know, making things fun, mm-hmm. making things light, uh, and also like being able to have a conversation with anyone just about anything. And so she didn't have a really good relationship, but man, I wish I was good back then because I think my career would be a little bit different during my final years at NBC let's put it that yeah. way if i if i wasn't completely face planning at 24 years old when they put me on camera for the first time i mean i can't imagine
1: honestly what what that was like because literally not that long not that many years ago so i'm 33 not that many years 10. ago i was just starting to do like streams like this sitting in my yeah. office at my desk and I mean, I don't even think I'm good now, but then it was like, like you said, you, you're like practicing things. <laughs> I you have no like, idea. N- you, you have no, you have absolutely no idea. And you come to realize that, like eventually is like none of that shit matters. Just talk and have fun and like, right. you know, right. That's, that's the important part. But I, I was so lost doing it. Just like I said, just sitting here, like doing a roto grinders, like stream or whatever, right. Live show or whatever. Um, so clueless, so nervous was yeah. so bad that I can't fathom that like at the level that you were doing it at in a studio, NBC. Right. And that's like that on steroids.
0: The point where I figured out that I could finally be comfortable on camera was well, in that same year, they put me on live television. So I went in and that was back in the days of pro football talk on afternoon shows. And it was Uh hosted by Eric Casillas, Mike Florio and Sean King, the old Bucks quarterback. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This was way back. This was way back. These and are my so,
1: days. These, This is my favorite time uh,
0: th- th- those days. Yeah. I'm the same age as you, by the way. We're yeah. the exact same age. And they brought me in for, cause I was just doing, a, you know, just grinding draft prospects and I worked in the right. office and all that type of stuff. And, um, they t- take me in for an audition and I do like one segment and it's awful. So bad. It's awful. I do the exact <laughs> same thing. And the next day they're like, oh, we're going to put you on live television. <laughs> and it was only at times, sometimes, literally, I'd step on camera for a minute, and that was it. Like, I remember when Vic Beasley was going through his pro days and all that stuff, I'd be come on and be like, oh, he did this, this, and this, and this is his projection. And then I'd just walk off, and then that was it. Um, <laughs> but to answer your, the question I posed for myself here, I, I was so nervous, again, to repeat exactly what I had, like, prepared and, like, the points I wanted to make that I thought were well thought out, that there was one time when I just forgot what I was going to say. And it felt like there was going to be a huge five second pause and that it was just going to bomb. And then I went back and realized that that five second pause and then starting up again was just really natural. And it's what we all do in like normal conversation. Right. Right. And so like just listening to someone else, because you do all the work anyways, just listening to someone else and then responding to what they say. That's what, that's what's natural. That's like, that's what wins in television and it's not just you know these pre-rehearsed monologues that i'm known to give but pre-rehearsed monologues that people do on television so
1: yeah it's so funny it's so funny you say that because it took me so long to figure that part out to just like um eventually they just started putting me on shows with people that were way 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 better at that than i was like um i don't know if you play dfs but like head chopper one of the mm-hmm. DFS like legends or whatever he he's really smart he's won multiple millions of dollars in DFS but he like will play the host role cuz he's so incredibly good at sitting and listening to people and and creating that conversation the the hosting thing he also obviously is very good at DFS and eventually you just start to pick up like I'm let's, we're just me and it's just me and Hedgehog are hanging out for a half hour. Right. Right. Is what it becomes. And that's what all this has become. I mean, I'm selfishly, that's why I'm having this show because I get to have just hang out with, you know, people like you for, for 45 minutes to an hour once a week. But then I don't know if you went through this. Then it was when I started the spike week stuff. It was just me. Yeah. All solo streams, anything that was pre-recorded was all me solo pre-recording it. The amount of time I wasted doing that thing that you talked about going through my head of like, okay, here's this well thought out thing, right? First video I did was about Trey Lance and the 49ers. So really you want to talk about reels and bad reels. The first best ball video I ever did was touting a guy who didn't play in his first season, but I probably recorded that thing like seven or eight times. Cause you just screw up and you think you have this picture of perfection in your head and it's only you, you know, so you don't even know if it sounds good. That whole, that whole thing about this space is like, It's a lot harder than people, than, than people think you don't like, you can't just like show up and be good at it. Like I said, I don't even think I'm good at it now, but I mean, when I first started, I was like, it was useless me being on the
0: air. It helped me a lot doing that in college. Um, I was doing like a ton of student media stuff. We showed them on the end of our NFL draft stream, which was pretty hilarious. We got some good comments off those. Um, And you know, like the first five things that you do absolutely suck. The 10th one is awful. The 15th one is bad, but like you just get better from each one and you like, you, you learn like what feels good and what works and what doesn't. And it's all through trial and error that that's, that's the entire thing. So yeah, my, my first professional podcast, quote unquote, was something called shot to anyone in the chat that might know this process, the process. And this was like just a solo know. journey. I mean, that okay. was, this was pre serial, you know, like when you think of podcasts, it's like NPR wow. serial, then everything yeah. after that. And this was before. <laughs> and, um, I was. it was very NPR style to be honest with you. Cause I was listening to a lot of NPR shows. Cause you know, I was just a well-educated 26 year old. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that, that was just all individual stuff when I mean, I'd, I'd have interviews and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even the podcast thing, that's to me really a, a good way of getting into all of this. Um, maybe not now cause everyone has a podcast, but back yeah. then, uh, because you could just do it yourself, you know, Like, even seven years ago, you'd have to have a studio to do online video, basically. Like, there was no real easy way of doing that. Now you have phones. You can do StreamYard and phones, anything like that. But we all can edit audio. It takes just a little bit of time to learn. And there's a microphone everywhere, right? And so just going from from that to to doing all this stuff now, it's pretty amazing how quickly it grows. And I was even talking to a college class last week. um, And... What I've graduated ten years, eleven years, eleven years ago. I mean, my final year in college, we were still digesting everything that we shot on camera through physical tapes, yeah. like the actual rolls and everything. And that was a decade ago. And now they can do literally every single thing they want to do just with their cell phone. It's pretty crazy. It it
1: was it was legendary, game changing technology when I was in college. Um, you know, the software Huddle H U D L yeah yeah yeah. That came out when I was in college. And it was like that's what everyone was making the move to. When I before that, it would literally, when I was in high school, we'd show up to we'd show up to Saturday mornings after the fret. You know, we played high school football on Friday nights. We show up Saturday mornings and the coach would roll in with the VHS and roll the, you know, A V set and like. I'm like this was this was I graduated you know we grad I we graduated in in 2006. I'm, yeah. I'm not it's not this is we're not talking about the 80s. We're talking this is still in the 2000s and we're rolling out the freaking tube TV on the cart to watch oh.
0: you know film and wasn't stuff. it and the it wasn't greatest thing though, though. Like oh, when you absolutely. had when when you had a uh, substitute teacher and they just pull in the big <laughs> monitor on on the rolling thing and then also the overhead projectors. I was going to coaching clinics you know back in 20 let's say. 2015 and you know those coaches are so old school that they were still using the overhead projectors and putting them up on the wall and using yep. markers and all that type of stuff so with, with the, some things the clear, never like change. The,
1: the translucent sheets yes. of paper or whatever that you Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh man, yeah, those those are the good old days. My dad, uh, lifelong high school football coach. That's how I got into into football when I was really little. So, yeah, I've been to all of those, yeah, all the same chalk he wrote on the chalkboard when I was yeah. in high school he coached me and he, he would get into halftime and he'd write in chalk on the chalkboard and like if you talk to a kid nowadays like, what the what is what is chalk I don't even know I don't even know what that you know what what that means so it's funny it's so funny those those days but it like I feel like it just it shaped me for sure but almost this like whole industry everybody we all come from like kind of that yeah that that generation you know what i mean and it's like a foundation of we do still know what it's like like we like to make fun of you know the old football bros and stuff but we do still kind of know what it's like uh before like this game and technology and everything totally transformed
0: yeah i remember a group of now online friends and i've met some of them in real life but they i think they came from a message board called like football future or football's future or something like that but it was like the Eric Stoners, the Andrew Parsons, the Matthew, Matt mm. Matt Harmon. Matt Harmon was in that group. Charles was wow. in that group. Justice, all that stuff, and so it's it's it is pretty amazing to see so many of us, you know, cultivate an actual career in uh in sports stuff. So it's online well, friends are like a real thing, aren't they, Eric? Like I is, I, I try well, to I don't explain have real this life friends. to I know I don't to have like normal to yeah. normal people, well adjusted people who. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, my my friend. They're like, oh, when have you met? Never. Literally <laughs> Just, never. Yeah. I've spoken to them for seven years and never met them. <laughs> but that that's like to me what the senior bowl and the combine and all this stuff is is good for is meeting online friends and see if you actually, you know, kick it in real life. So
1: yeah, I'm 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 excited for um anybody that is that is listening. I'm hoping to do to kind of start doing a little of of in in-person type events and stuff around this space. I mean We'll get into the best ball stuff later. I promise um, you guys get to hear us talk about that every day of the week. So, like I said, we'll get into to more of that. But I mean, with the contests and everything, and the community that's 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 going on around best ball and, and fantasy football, obviously, it's so crazy. But like you said, we don't have any of that in in person element. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think that's something that I want to try to try to tackle a little bit. A little bit too. I don't know about well, this. Maybe Summer not Bowl. like the Playboy
0: we'll Mansion. Maybe not the yeah. Playboy Mansion.
1: Yeah, we don't have to go full DFS bro uh, <laughs> with this. yeah, Playboy Mansion live finals and all that. I think that's a little excessive. Also, a little outdated, probably, I think. Also, if anyone has ever been to any of these live finals, there could not be a worse place to put a 200 loser nerds who never leave their right. computer. Like, like I, I've been lucky enough to make a, quite a, quite a few live finals. And I love a lot of these guys that I've met there. There's tons of awesome people, but like, it, 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 you know, it's not exactly like the social skills are not, you know, we're not like crushing it uh, in terms of uh, those people. And I don't imagine that best ball is really, really that, that much different. Like we, we get enjoyment out of drafting fantasy football teams on May 2nd, right? you know? So, um, so before we get into some of that best ball and fantasy football stuff, How did you get from the days of starting your own kind of podcast, the days of grinding the college football stuff for NBC, a little bit of media into the Roto-World gig and kind of what started to really become your career?
0: I've told this story before, so I apologize to people who've already heard it. But going into my senior year, I interned with the then St. Louis Rams in their scouting department. It was kind of like a Truman Show moment where I already had an internship lined up with Fox Sports Radio um, in Los Angeles. And it was just, like, one that I randomly applied to in this bank of internships. And yep. I was going there to basically cut the audio that they would use in, like, their one-minute sports updates at the top of every hour. Uh-huh. R- riveting stuff. Riveting yeah. stuff there. But <laughs> I was walking, like, just around campus the day after, you know, school ended. And I got this email that said, this is an internship only for Elon students. There's an opening in the scouting department for the Rams and apply it. And it was just a mass, mass email. And I was like, who the heck is more qualified than me for this? Cause yep. that's all I'd been doing for like student media stuff and yep. on my own and make mock and all that jazz, you know? <laughs> and so I got it. I got it. And, uh, so I showed up to earth city, Missouri, uh, at the start of training camp. This was Sam Bradford's rookie year. Uh, oh, 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 I was probably there when you were there There you go. at that time. I went, I went out to earth city a lot back then. James Lauren Yep. um they
1: it was jason smith's
0: second Jason's, season
1: i i was there I, i'm i'm sorry to interrupt i was there so i, I was a die hard st louis Rams fan like I absolute. Apologize. yeah it was awful um i'm glad you're bringing this up again for me to relive it but uh you know they obviously have the greatest show on turf which was like three of the greatest oh, yeah. years of my football life and then and then it seems like it's turning around with bradford right get number one overall pick you, get sam bradford <laughs> Draft, which was obviously a stone disaster. Agent even Neely was the starter too, but Bradford just outplayed yeah. him in training camp. Correct. Yeah. Um, don't get me into sleeves. Sleeves. Sam. Brad- Sammy sleeves is uh, is is Bradford. Uh, that's where Kirk Cousins learned.
0: Who, who was the? So it was Danny and Dola, something Gibson was the other wide receiver. Oh my
1: gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. How am I gonna forget those days of? Um, they were they were like last year's Detroit Lions of best ball. Right. Where like it would like the, and it was Steven Jackson the backfield, was, but I don't remember
0: yeah. who who the other Stephen wide Jackson was a was. first
1: round pick in fantasy, and yeah. no one took drafted any of the wide receivers. That's how bad yeah. the offense was.
0: It was real bad.
1: <laughs> it was it was so bad. I'm, I'm gonna forget. So my favorite time was well, favorite um, I guess could be phrased different ways, but it was so bad. Right, the the wide receiver room was so bad that they they mortgaged the future for Tavon to to move up to draft Tavon Austin. Right, like how much will we laugh if somebody mortgages the future? Brandon Gibson. Brand- oh, my God. I can buy you his rookie card if you want right now. I, I think I'll pass. <laughs> Thank you, though. Um, it'd just be a reminder of a miserable, like, 10 years of my life, and this dude was playing, getting targeted. Oh, yeah, um, heavily. By the Rams. But anyway, what I was going to th- just so you can get back to it, what I was – Jason Smith. The Jason Smith thing is one of the craziest in practice, his first practice. So I used to go to uh, open training That's camp crazy. and stuff. His first, which is a shithole, by the way, Earth Earth City. I All lived across yeah. the
0: street in a hotel that just had, what, what, was, the, probably what know was the, the pizza chain that just only had like square slices? Yes. Um, and that was it. It was a gas station and that pizza place. Yes. And there's a Moto was before Mart. Uber or Uber mm-hmm. Eats or DoorDash or any of that stuff. And so I basically just ate pizza and whatever they served at the, the, the <laughs> training camp facility for the entire summer and gained 20 pounds. Not joking. Yeah.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure that you did. That's what, if anybody ever gets a chance to come through, uh, which there, that, that actually used to be get fairly popular, going going to the training camp. But Earth City is basically some corporate buildings, which is what the Rams uh, facility was. A couple of gas stations, yeah. And I think that there's two restaurants. I think there's a yep. McDonald's and uh, yep. and that. So anyway. Really high-quality stuff for the Rams. They draft Jason Smith, right? Things are turning around. We got the franchise left tackle, got Bradford. Like you said, got Laranitis at the top of the second round. Everybody's excited. I go to practice on the first day. Everybody else is running, like, team drills. The offensive line coach is working with Jason Smith on how to get into a three-point stance.
0: Can we because, he did,
1: because, he, because he played at Baylor, and they ran. They, they, they obviously ran you know, four. Old, this is old-school Baylor, not new-school Baylor. Um, you know, like the, the, the Corey Coleman days of Baylor. And uh, he didn't – he, like, couldn't do – he couldn't put his hand in the dirt. He's supposed to be the franchise left tackle. I'll tell you this. Second overall, the, and he, he couldn't put his hand down.
0: One of the first things I was told was that they immediately knew that first year that Jason Smith could not play left tackle after being <laughs> the number two overall pick. And so they took Roger Saffold at the start of the second round the year after to play left tackle then new yep. Jason Smith out to the right side.
1: Yeah. Um, anyways
0: – So, so what I did with the Rams just quickly was with them during training camp. One of my main jobs was to pick up players that were coming in for, for tryouts or workouts or veterans or undrafted guys and all that type of stuff. And then that also meant, you know, when they got cut, taking them to the airport immediately. And so I was just driving the van. I was driving the van (laughs) and, uh, some names that rolled through, uh, Justin Fargus came in for running back. No one knew about, no one knew about, he came through uh denario alexander you know that name. oh yeah well he denario made he, alexander he, he, yeah
1: he was he, he played on the team yep. before the knee the knee finally gave out yep and there were a bunch more there were he was a bunch good more. denario yeah, he alexander was. denario alexander was a good player
0: Yep. um and so yeah i spent training camp with them they went back to elon for my final year and then they asked me back to uh the 2011 nfl draft so that was at the lockout and okay. it was the crazy one came Newton at the top you know von miller keep going on and on J.J. Watt out on Smith and all those quarterbacks and so I I sat in their draft room for all seven rounds and by that point I knew I wanted to work in sports in some capacity and so I was I had this like information in the back of my head after working there you know for a summer that I just started to spout off to people who I like read their work and one of them was Evan Silva and so Evan kind of caught on that I had a bit more information and why and so he and I kind of start up a relationship that way, just communicating DMs, texts, all that type of stuff. And so then when I went back, this is really bad. They're never going to hire me. So it's okay. Um, When I went back for the 2011 NFL draft, I was like, I'm going to tell Evan Silva their board. And so, (laughs) so what I did was when I got there, checked out the board because they pulled down where it actually was. And it was only about like an hour ahead of, of the draft. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey man, this is the top 15. And uh then like when because that was the first year too, it was three days, I believe. Yeah, and so
1: <clears throat> I-, I told
0: them like, hey, they'll probably settle for they'll settle for, oh god, who was the defensive tackle? Corey Legit or Prince oh, of Yeah, right. They people wanted them to get Julio, but you know, the Falcons had traded up for Julio in that point. And Then it got to the the pick and it was it was uh, Robert Quinn, which was a really good selection. But Robert Quinn had like a tumor when he was in college or high school or something. And so teams are really nervous about that. And so I just picked up a lot of things. My main job was just to move the magnets. So like when a player got drafted, moved him from the front board over to the team in the backboard, backboard. That was my whole thing. That was it. Shut up and move the magnets. But you, you pick up a lot of things along the way. And like Josh McDaniels was also the OC that was his one year as being the OC for that team. I couldn't remember and, when it was, I was going to yeah. ask you about the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. It, and Steve Spagnuolo was the head coach. Um, and so we're getting there in day two and it's, it's late, you know? And so all morning they're like, okay, we know Josh McDaniels wants a receiving tight end to pair with the legend, Michael Ho-Ho Manawanui. And, <laughs> and he wants to run two tight ends because, you know, it worked so well with new England. He tried it in Denver and now he's here. And so everyone thought that that would be like the, the third round selection. So we were looking at names like DJ Williams. If you remember that name coming out of Arkansas, I do, I do. Uh, Lance Kendricks coming out of Wisconsin, a few others, Luke Stocker was another one. <laughs> and, um, but in the second round, they were probably going to take a running back because Steven Jackson's time, I think either was ending or was about to end. And if you're looking this up right now, I'm have a missing names. Just let me know. I am. You're good. Um, I'm, I'm fact so, checking the, the shit out of you, though. Right. Some of the running backs up there, I can't believe I remember these: Mikel Shore, uh, Daniel Thomas, Kendall Hunter. Oh my, oh my um, all those names. I mean, blast from the Pats. I thought Kendall Hunter was gonna be a player. Um, so everybody yeah, everybody here wanted
1: everybody here wanted Mikel Shore because uh, right. if anybody's not familiar in St. Louis is located like basically right in the middle of the university of Illinois and the university and, and university of Missouri. Everybody is either a Missouri fan or an Illinois fan. And St. Louis is right on the river. It's literally on the river between, um, Illinois and, and Missouri. So it's right. basically a conglomerate of, well, I actually live in Illinois. Um, I say I'm from St. Louis, but I live on the, on the suburbs of Illinois. And so Mikel Ashore, there's always these, these guys like Mikel Ashore like, he went to Illinois oh my God, we need a running back in the second round. It has to be Mikel LaShore. You know, that's the the sports talk radio.
0: Um, I'm even trying to pull up who they wanted. Anyways, they get to their pick. Yeah, here it is. They get to their pick in round two. It's the 47th overall selection. And at least they're dynamic. Every team is different. Coaches start to like trickle in about three to five picks ahead of time. They're kind of like in their own stations around the draft room and in the draft room. Um, are the scouts and you know, executives and all that type of stuff. And so the coaches start to trickle in, and then like right when the pick is is about to be on the clock, Josh McDaniels just like stares at Billy Devaney, who's the general manager, and then Billy turns the room and says, We're gonna take Lance Kendricks. And Lance Kendricks isn't even close to the top of the board, man. Like, <laughs> not even close. And the director of college scouting, I think at the time, or maybe he was like the head scout, one of the lead scouts. Let's put him that way. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> uh, they they wanted, and this guy's a bust too. But they wanted Brandon Harris, who was by far the top player on their board. He's the corner coming out of uh, Miami.
1: Okay. And, okay.
0: Okay. And so, I mean, again, my first time in there, I'm just like, all these teams are just totally lying about best player available, like completely, and. So he, he obviously wanted to turn Michael Ho and and Lance Kendricks into Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And this was his plan and not even close, right? Not <laughs> even close.
1: <laughs> no, it's- Lance
0: Kendricks was the final in a long
1: line of, there was a run. I, I, as a, as a damaged Rams fan, I post, I went back, I, I go back through it probably far too much, but I went back through it a couple months ago or something um, of their run post. Um, it was actually at the end of the greatest show on turf. It started, they drafted Trung candidate in the first round when they had Marshall Falk in his prime on, the, on, on a, a, a Super Bowl team. And from then on, they, they hit on, like, one of the lowest rates you've ever seen in your entire life. Mm. From the year 2000 until, basically, <clears throat> it started to turn around, right? You start getting the laryniduses and stuff in, and it started to turn around a little bit. But the Lance Kendricks one was so funny because I was a dumb young kid at that, at that time going to going to camp. And watching him, I was like, I was sold. I was like, this dude's awesome. He is Aaron Hernandez because they, they like, they're, he's, he's lined up on linebackers and seven on seven. He's cooking these guys up. He looks great in shorts, right? Because he's playing the Aaron Hernandez role, like you said. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. You know, you're going back home. I think we, we have a home dynasty league that's been going since I was like, 16 yeah. years 16 years old lance kendricks went in like the end of the first round or right. something like that and like because we're all like you know we're leaking the inside information that like this guy's the next superstar tight end spoiler
0: alert lance kendricks was, it was useless in the and, end and of the no outfit. offense to lance it's not his fault no. you know no. uh so let me throw another a few more names at you so that that's what happens in round two and literally the the lead scout is like are you kidding me <laughs> who, did, um, who who was so brandon
1: harris was like the guy, this, I'm looking, I'm looking at this second round and this is maybe it's just because this is my generation or whatever, but it's pretty all the, the names, the names are, are hilarious. Well, Rodney first...
0: Hudson's pretty good. there. a couple of picks after Oh, remember Shane Titus Green Young? at running back was ranked highly. Remember um...
1: Titus Young? The, oh yeah, I do remember uh, did he Titus Young. Did, did uh, Titus play? Young had some did, problems. Yeah. <laughs> Daquan Bowers, did he play? He was the, the, he was one of the first guys, um, that, you know, blew out his knee. Right. And, um, right he was supposed to be a, a stud top, blew uh, out top pick. Yeah, and he goes in the, and he goes in the second Randall round.
0: Randall Cobb yeah. though went 64th overall anyways okay we wrap up with round two and and so we're sitting there in round three and I actually think this guy is the director of college scouting his name is Mike Mike Williams is his name yeah and the prior year I don't know if you remember this name maybe the chat does there's a wide receiver to come out of Syracuse who went in like round five or round six. Also, whose name is like the other Mike Williams. Other he, Mike had like Williams a, yeah. he had an unbelievable rookie year. I think it might have been with the Bills. I'm just throwing out stuff. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: you're good. I'm looking.
0: And this director of college scouting like pleaded the room to take him. And so on the heels of that guy, probably, and I'm, I'm going to throw out numbers, like probably have 60 catches and like 890 yards and maybe six touchdowns his rookie year. What do you have? Oh, oh,
1: 65 catches for 964 yards and 11 touchdowns. See, Close, close enough. Um, 129 targets. Right. He was on, on yep. the Bucks. I remember this now. The
0: Bucks. Okay. okay. So he was unbelievable his rookie year. And so I think the general manager who works with this guy on a daily basis was like, man, we missed on that one. This guy's going to be a star. Let's let Mike Williams, our director of college scouting, pick the wide receiver <laughs> that he wants most in round three. And he goes out there and selects Austin freaking Pettis. Um, (laughs) And the reason why he selected Austin Pettis is this is what he said. He got up on the whiteboard and could tell you what every single player at every single position was supposed to do. Nothing about his game or anything, but just like his intelligence. And I think he had like a great three cone or shuttle or something like that. Anyways, so that was awful. Um, And that was the third round and that was over. Here we go in, in day three. So then round four rolls around and between Austin Pettis, the other name at the top of the wide receiver board at that time was Greg Salas.
1: That's my guy. <laughs> All names
0: blast from the past. Greg so, Salas was my guy. And I was convinced he was right. good. So convinced. they debated it hard in that round three selection. They get to round four. Guess who's on the board? <laughs> Shocker. Greg <laughs> Salas. Now we know why, but they, I mean, he is like prime slot player or it's supposed yep. to be, right? yeah. And mm-hmm. so you just had, I think Danny Mandola have a hundred targets or something and they didn't think anything of the player, but of Danny Mandola. And so you could see Billy <laughs> and Steve Spagnuolo getting together and Josh McDaniels and like basically writing the future of Danny Mandola out and being like, hey, if we take Greg Salas, it's over. It's over for him. And then they just took Greg Salas in round four. And then the sh- most shocking thing, Eric, that has really stood out to me since. We'll just go through some of these. In round five, some safety out of Ohio State named Jermail Hines. Round six, they had no selections. And then in round seven, they had picked 216, 228, and 229. And none of these guys had Mikhail Baker, Jabara Williams, Jonathan Nelson. What stood out to me on that final day is there was no plan. There was no process, okay? And really, when they got up on the clock, the GM turned to a position coach. He's like, hey, man, who do you want? And they just said a name, and then they they picked him. There was no like, hey, this is the critical factors for athletic testing that we think he has upside here or like blah, blah, blah. It was so random, so random, and no wonder like those guys just completely fizzled out. So I'm, that, I'm, that, was, I'm that was through seven rounds of that draft for me.
1: You're you're making me sick to my stomach because as a fan, that's almost what it felt like the drafts were for many a year um, from the Rams. But we're going to – everybody gets to listen to us scroll through that. I don't give a shit what, what anybody thinks. So we had the Bradford year, right, 20, 20, 2010. Oh, Marty Gilliard. <laughs> Marty Gilliard was another one. And so <clears throat> you're so jaded as a young kid in your local market. And, like, again, this is – I didn't have access to, like, tons of really – like, right now I go on Twitter. I can find somebody – a thousand times smarter than the the content i had access to you know in 2009 2010 i didn't understand who to look for i didn't understand any of this so it's like the rams need a wide receiver the rams took marty gilliard i don't know he looks pretty athletic to me He cincinnati, was pretty good at cincinnati right? yeah he's yeah. pretty good at cincinnati he's a punt returner which i do like i do like those kind of guys you know good athletes like well he's the next he's the next great thing right there there's a line i mike like you said
0: don't he's worry the next. Oz Akeem, you
1: know don't yeah Exactly. Um, Azekeen, the first Rams
0: jersey I ever had.
1: Uh, Fendi, Fendi Anabond. So oh, they, they, won- they had high
0: hopes for Fendi. He just did they, not know how to play football. He was no, a basketball great
1: a- Yes, great athlete. Um, uh, so, you, But you'll see here this tight end run, right? Also, George Selvi, I believe, uh, was the leader in sacks in the country. We also convinced ourselves this seventh round pick because he had a lot of college sacks
0: he was going to be. think he played uh, opposite JPP or yes. close to it around yes. the same time.
1: And he was like 230 pounds right. as a defensive man. So anyway, you see this nonsense, right? We'll just scroll through it super quickly. I oh, mean, Donnie Avery was the other wide receiver. He was pretty did. good. Yeah, Donnie Avery was okay. He signed a decent deal with Tennessee Colts? Colts. Yep, you're right. Um, Chris Long was a hit, but that's one. one. So
0: one for eight
1: in that draft.
0: Oh, Adam cares. Car- oh, so this at 2007, this was the general manager prior to Billy. I think if you go back and cross-check all of these names with senior bowlers, they're all senior bowlers. And that coach, ah. so many of those, you know, the coaches get into the process at the senior bowl. That's when they start watching mm-hmm. all these players. Yeah. And he just fell in love. He's like, oh, man, we're going to take Adam Carriker in round one. We're going to take Brian Leonard in round two because those are the first guys he watched. And he just did not move off of them for the remainder of the process. Brian Leonard was a fullback at Rutgers who they tried to
1: turn into a NFL running back. Yeah, he he if, was running mates with Ray Rice, right? Ray Rice, yeah, he was uh, he was and don't I mean he was a good at, he, he wasn't like a traditional like blocking fullback, right? But like the, he played as a fullback. I mean this is 2007. Right? You know, 2006 when he was playing, so it's a different style of football. But you just this is like every year it find a good player on here. You tell me. Yeah. A player who played in the NFL for a long time. Oh,
0: guess what? Another year.
1: Oh, uh, OJ o- o- Tagway was pretty good. Richie Incognito
0: Anthony in the chat makes a pretty funny comment. I thought Josh might say that they went and turned to him for a seventh round pick. Yeah, man. I would have taken Jason Kelsey in round six. That's what I would have done. Changed the, <laughs> changed the landscape of the NFL for a decade. I actually, that, that week, Eric, I, that final day of the draft, I had a 102 degree fever because it turned out that my wisdom teeth were infected. Like when I got home to Charlotte, I had to get emergency surgery, my wisdom teeth to get them removed. So that final day, my head was spinning <laughs> and I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to work. Well, it no. was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Right. And so my head was just spinning at 103 degree fever uh, while making all these awful draft picks. So my,
1: my favorite, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But this is so 1999, they win the Super Bowl, right? Greatest show on turf. They beat Steve McNair and, and the Titans. If Marshall Falk, all these guys in their prime, what do you got to do? First round running back because he was real fast chunk candidate real fast. Then they move on to the next year and they have three first round picks. Despite being one of the best teams in the NFL, yep. they drafted not one, but two defensive tackles who both were busts and, uh, well, linebacker. Adam, Archuleta, love Archuleta. Yeah, I'm sure you did football, bro. College linebacker who we got to play NFL safety. They had a tendency for taking these guys playing like fullback and linebacker and let's put them in the, the, in the skill groups when they get to the NFL spoiler alert, Archuleta couldn't cover my grandma out there. He's a good tackler, but, uh, playing safety in the NFL was not, was,
0: was not great, but I also loved Adam. Oh yeah. Back, back. I would trade for him Uh, in like every single Madden dynasty that I made. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, anyways, so the point of that story, i sorry to drag on, sorry to drag no. on, but uh, was the relationship that I fostered with Evan. And you can actually go back and uh, find his old tweets suggesting who the Rams are about to pick because he's like, oh man, I, I, I bet the Rams are going to take Lance Kendricks in round two when no one else was mentioning this. You can find <laughs> these. And it's from me in the bathroom in Earth City, Missouri, texting them to him. Anyway, so, so the draft ends... I don't have a job out of, out of school. I, I wanted to work in the league, but again, I like to say at the time it was because um, of the lockout. Like they weren't hiring anyone. I mean, the league right. almost like did not play that year. Yep. Um, and so the season starts on like a quick turn, and I uh I just start like writing freelance. I started writing freelance for. Like CBS Sports with Chad Ryder and Rob Rang for draft prospects.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and then Evan, once that draft season hit, was like, "Hey man, why don't you just freelance write for us at uh, at Roto Road for draft stuff?" Not to bash, you know, NBC—they don't really pay freelancers. So it was like forty dollars an article. That's that's what happens in this business. Yep. Um, and so I did that. I went to the East West Shrine Game, paid for myself down there, did all the Senior Bowl stuff, and then did a good enough job. I and mean, Evan was always just such a really good advocate for me that uh that then I pitched them turning the yeah like I said college football section into the uh NFL draft section and we have we have moved on since then so
1: crazy it's so funny <clears throat> I had I talked to Hayden last week and um, he had a not not the same story as you but a very similar story and I have a similar story as well in terms of getting into this to this space I won't tell it cuz anybody that's listening has probably heard it already but it was Evan it was I was creating a startup in the fantasy sports space and just cold met, like was adding Evan on Twitter. It's like, Hey, I got this thing. What do you think? Yep. He followed me, DM'd me, call me. Yep. He just says, call me for his phone number. Yeah. So what the fuck? I'm like, same thing as you, With you know, you're sick or whatever. Uh, this is my once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm like, well, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm not prepared for this, but this dude with, you know, Several hundred thousand Twitter followers just said, "Hey, call me." So I did. Talk to Evan for the next half hour, forty-five minutes, and he helped help me launch. What you know, it, that startup didn't end up working out, but that's why I'm here. That's literally why I'm here today. Is Evan Silva and him? He had no, he had no reason. Uh, you know, he likes to joke and be a hardo and stuff on some of these uh, shows and stuff, and he's very funny. His he plays that role really well. But he might be one of the nicest, most genuine, caring people like that I've ever met and definitely in, in this space, he's like springboarded like three, three fourths of the entire industry has been
0: springboarded by Evan Silva. Um, And then from there, so I started working at NBC, like I said, and moved over and up to Connecticut, Uh, lived there for eight years. And a big part of that, we talked about television and video and I was just a writer at first and blurbing and all that type of stuff. Um, And then launched like really the first podcast at NBC. And so Mm -hmm. They had no idea how to do that stuff. Like NBC is truly a TV network and they do such a good job with it. You know, they yep. do the Olympics, Sunday night football. They're so specialized in storytelling in that environment and, and have perfected it. Um, they didn't know, that I'll just talk in past tense here, Eric. They didn't know how mm-hmm. to do digital content. Okay. And I think that's normal probably for a lot of these TV networks because oh yeah, the people at the top making decisions, um, are all TV people, right? And I think you have to have a totally different mindset for something that is supposed to be snappy jump cuts in your face and keep you engaged versus I'm going to tune into this on a television network and have this 12 minute long drawn out story about a crazy thing that happened to me. Um, And so, yeah, when we still had the number one podcast, when I left there original, let's put it that way. And that, that had been for four years and it's, it was a bit frustrating because you looked around and podcasts were being like promoted and Mm -hmm. like it huge, huge numbers and how much they were bringing in and ads and all that type of stuff. And they just, it didn't connect with them in terms of them believing it was like a big, a big priority, but I was super proud of it. And I think it's helped Hayden. I think it's helped Pat. I think it's helped Ray, um, Daigle, like Ian, everyone that we were able to have the show that we created had no producer for that I was editing and putting all this stuff together and turning into vid- video during the pandemic and all that type of stuff. And just being able to have like blurbers, be able to talk on camera and creating content that way. And I'm really, really proud looking back on it. What we were able to do with the, with the podcast stuff over at NBC and Rotor World. And then I just quit. And then I just quit, Eric.
1: Right. I'm re- I was really proud of it. And then I just gave him the middle finger and, uh, and <laughs> and was quit. done with it. No, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm obviously kidding. But so what, you know, you don't have to give away all, uh, any details. I'm not asking you to to spill spill any drama or anything like that. But what what made you move to Underdog, or what you know, what was the driving force behind that?
0: And to be honest with you, when I quit, I did not have the Underdog thing lined up. I had not. I, th- I I knew that. I've heard you say that before. I knew. That. I had absolutely nothing lined up. It just worked out really well. Um, I'd already planned on Underdog and all that type of stuff. But I I, I quit from and there's no drama or anything like that. But I quit because when we all went home, I mean, I seriously remember sitting in the office when all of the conference championship games were being canceled due to COVID. Like, Oh yeah. I worked in the newsroom and we just surrounded by televisions and they were just all gone and being pulled off the field, like the court and all that type of stuff. And so I thought I'd be home for like a week. Turns out I was home for a year plus. And during that time, again, we were, people were so reliant on making content through the studios and production at NBC that then at the time I just had to learn how to do it myself. So like I found StreamYard because Zoom wasn't as good and started, you know, saying, Hey, if we can get this cut from this start point to this end point and kind of took command of all of the non-written content. Right. Yep. And so then when we moved along during those months, uh, once like everyone got accustomed to how working from home and everything was, I basically pitched them on a promotion and just weren't having it. And so I was like, if I didn't show enough in like this last year and a half where we remained, um, you know, the number one show and how I'd written out plans to even do more and more and more and get people more and more involved. And I think it's really important because they're really into pitching premium products right now Mm -hmm. that premium products have, like a name and a face attached to them. And it's not just like, Hey, this is a chart that you should look at and, and live by. Because yeah. I think as we evolve with what we're doing with best ball and what we're going to get into in a lot of other places with sports betting and just consuming that content. Um, I think more than anything, people just want to like ride the roller coaster with people like live sweat and, because no one's perfect and no one's going to bat a thousand. If you just say like, oh, this is the best information period. And here's your winner. I don't know how far that's going to take you anymore. And like more than anything, I think like attaching a person to the information that you're giving across is what's going to win out in the end. So I kept pitching that to them and at those massive media conglomerates, there's constantly hierarchy changes. And I think I just caught it probably at like the wrong time. And so I kind of just felt like if they weren't going to, listen to this proposal that i had and it was probably just time for me to go there was nothing left i could could prove so i i literally just quit that's
1: that that that's amazing um i've done something similar like that uh in the past so that's that's um that's fu- funny to hear i was going to say awesome to hear but you know not all those stories work it out, turned well. out like, awesome. like, it, it turned out it turned it's it turned out awesome but i'm sure like, like it was for me. It doesn't always feel awesome um, no. after you, like you feel really, you know, uh, empowered and invigorated at first. And then if something doesn't literally come together perfectly afterwards, uh, 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 there's a lot of thoughts that uh, come come through to your head. But I was just going to add, um, I basically co- I co-sign everything that, that you just said. And um, I think this space that we're both in now is doing a perfect job and might be one of the like shining lights on that model that you're talking about. You you just can't be six. It's a people business. We're in the people business. We're all gambling, right? We're all playing fantasy sports or whatever. But like, it's not fun to just do this all by yourself. Like that's not, the the point is that we're all talking, right? Me, you and I are talking. You and Hayden are talking every day. I'm talking to other people. We're in Discords. We're in maybe you just have a group chat with your buddies like best ball really isn't that fun if it if you didn't talk to anybody about it you just like sat on your couch and drafted by yourself like i don't know that doesn't seem that fun to me but the community experience is a part of it and like you said you need kind of a face to be to be on all of that we are of course at spike week going to be launching um a premium product but it's that's solely driven that, that would never have happened if everything over the last year year and a half hadn't happened in terms of us being able to create a community us right. me being able to do a stream every single day you know for for uh months or whatever and so i do think that's that's really important and i'm i'm really happy um with what we're building here and like seeing what you guys are building and what peter's building and what uh what tons of other people are building because it's just everybody you know we don't directly profit from the same thing but right. like we kind of all we still kind of all do
0: yeah and i mean it's, it's pretty amazing also where let's just use like the betting spaces is, is has become and like where it's going to. Um, I remember like driving in the car with my dad on Saturdays and listening to the radio, this guy, like saying, Hey, call this number. It's my lock of the week yep. and all this type of stuff and whatever. And then now I truly feel that that all is going to be dictated by just community and like, l- like, Obviously people are going to try to give out winners cause we all want to win and all that type of stuff, but sweating with someone that you find entertaining and informative and who gave you the process of why they came to a selection and all that type of stuff is going to be so much more beneficial than just, you know, information or just a chart that says, Oh, here's an inefficiency. Let's bet that one. I think. Um, and I, I, I honestly think that, and that networks are still slow to that. Like there's, there's still all that they want is someone to come up there and be like, Hey, this is the information boom. And that's it. So it's all to me intersecting at the right time for, uh, for all of us to have a, a a really enjoyable experience really for like the next five, 10 years. And it'll even go crazy beyond that. So,
1: yep. It's, it's, it's so funny that you say that too, because of last year like you said, nobody bats a thousand shit. I, I, I don't even know if I batted 300, you know, I was closer to the Mendoza line probably last year on, on, uh, on, you know, the, the takes and the flag plants and all of that stuff. I mean, we could go down the list of the, the Trey Lance's and the Robbie Anderson's and the, and all that it's, it's, it was, it was not very good, but the, ironically, the take that I was like that I, I would give again. I'm actually going to write an article that is like a uh, founded around this person. I'm happy to attach my brand to this. Trey game. Lance. Um, <laughs> close, close. I am drafting Trey Lance again. Let's not do that. Let's not, let's not, I don't want to talk about Trey Lance anymore. I get I, every time, every time um, Rob, Rob Coakley, who does a uh, spike week shows yeah. for us now, he, he will not do a show without making fun of me about, mm. about Trey Lance. So uh, I think he's fired.
0: Sorry, sorry uh, to fill that shoe today.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think he's fired and I think you're not welcome on these shows anymore. <laughs> uh, no, but what I was going to say was Darrington Evans, who yeah. obviously on your from a practical sense didn't help you with shit. <laughs> he basically didn't play all year. Right. But people saw that the logic, the everything revolving around me like touting this kid who was not being drafted in best ball drafts for months. And finally, you know, I dig into these things and I'm like, this is like the best pick. Like he should be like a 15th round pick, not an 18th round pick. And, and like, obviously then I kind of made it a bit, but like, I, I would go to bat for that. The logic behind that, obviously, yeah. whether it works out or not, but like people don't hold that against you. But like, if you, like you said, if you just like present and say, Hey, I think they, you know, the, the heat are favored by seven tonight. They should be favored by nine. So bet minus seven. It's like, who. Okay. Uh, that, that doesn't you know that doesn't really hold a lot of weight or whatever but this like look I'm presenting to you I'm putting my I'm, I'm putting my brand on this guy and here's all the reasons why I think we should invest in this kid and it doesn't work out people are like well I don't know the logic was sound it's just right. football you know right yeah I'm with you so so, so future of, now we got future of future of best ball what are you uh you don't have to you know if you have insider information don't don't we don't Me? need to be doing no. um what uh we just launched for everyone that's living under a rock, the biggest best ball contest of, uh, in crazy. history. And the, his, the biggest fantasy uh, season long, any, anything non-DFS related. Uh, it might even be the biggest fantasy sports contest ever. I, I, I don't know what, what the biggest live final is that DraftKings has had, but it's it's at least close to rivaling that. One of the biggest fantasy sports contests ever. $10 million prize pool, two million two million million first place. Three separate millionaires will be crowned Um Shout Justin this, God, what a year, year to win it. Yeah. What a, what a loser. Herzig. Jeez. Wait, that, we're we're a, making a, like
0: ten Justin Herzig's out there this year. No, I'm yeah, kidding, exactly.
1: Exactly. When I finish the 11th and I make more money than Herzig did winning the first year, I'm just going to, I'm going to fly out there and uh, uh, give him to Yeah. Obviously uh, we're Eric,
0: to, to me, what puts it on perspective is the first 12 hours of best ball mania three had more entries than the largest day ever last summer for best ball mania too and that like really as a company it's been so much fun just jumping from like a media conglomerate like i talked about to something that Mm -hmm. it feels like everything that we're doing has like some real like tangible impact like you can see and, and feel what we're all doing at the end of the week or the month or the day right and and that's that's a lot of fun it's not just like you're uh on the wheel like the hamster wheel and like you're replaceable maybe we are but I'd like to think that we're not um
1: I don't I, I definitely would not I definitely would not say that um all the you know I don't know everybody at Underdog but from everybody right. that I've met and obviously with you and Hayden um it's a big part I, I really do yeah. believe that it's a, it's a really big part because of what you said the community aspect and um we, we like this isn't this isn't sports betting where everybody grew up with this thing. We need to build out this community in order for everybody to, um, I think, really invest in it. And I mean, Jesus, I'm just pulling it up right now. There's seven thousand six hundred and twenty-six entrants into Best Ball Mania Three, mm-hmm. and it is May fourth at uh, dinner time. Like right.
0: that's that's pretty crazy. It's like it's it's what thirty-two hours, something like that. Since okay, and I was employed sixteen at Underdog, and now we're over a hundred. So like wow. the whole thing is scaling, not just scaling these tournaments and, you know, Nick and Lars and everyone does such a great job of figuring out like the right sizing. Yeah, um, it's That's a tough job and they've done an incredible job with it. Um, but at the same time, not just getting that correct, but it's also the marketing end. And I mean, Liz and Mackens and Berm and Zach and all those people and were under the marketing wing too. Um, so not only just scaling the games, scaling the marketing. Where randomly I was asked to go do TV commercials in our uh, office in Brooklyn, and <laughs> so we put up like a, a blue screen and started filming those, and then they went out like television the next week, and then they were on, you know, this past weekend for the NFL draft. It's pretty crazy that that stuff happens and how quickly things move and what we're doing. But it's then now scaling the the media side. So you know we we got Wob with the NBA stuff. Go and check out his channel. We got Tyler doing three hours a day, five days a week on the Troweather Weather Show, and that's barely sports. Today they yeah. talked about the Chappelle Show and the person getting tackled <laughs> yeah. on there, and I mean it's great. It's so it we're trying to figure out how to scale the media end of all, all that too, while still like trying to give informative yep. football content. So it's it, it's it's a challenge on a daily basis, and but in a good way. In, in a good way not a frustrating challenge but just like there's constantly stuff to do but I'm, I'm i'm really am enjoying it
1: what do you think um next year's best ball mania four prize pool is going to be if, you, if josh norris had to make a bet set an over under of what the the prize pool would be next year
0: so this one was 10 10 million um 3.5 Shout out, Shout year. out to Paul though. Shout out to Paul in the chat saying the UD customer service is unmatched. I think it that's is. such like a big part of, of where we're going in this space. Not just like if we can include underdog with obviously the fancy aspects of FanDuel and DraftKings, like
1: mm-hmm.
0: all these places to me, when you have an issue with what your, your money, let's put it that way, your money, you want to speak to someone like a legit person and not just get a, you know, Auto-generated email back and saying, "Hey, we'll, we're, we've have recognized the problem." So the support group is incredible, incredible for what they do. And there's just constantly things coming in with that. So shout out! I'm not to trying. You. I'm not trying to throw shade at you, Josh, but it might be the best part of the company. This it, is not it really might be. You.
1: It's and not a slight on
0: you. It's actually not a slight on you. I think it's just it's that good. And um, I think it has to be. And especially like they have to deal with fraud too and all that type of stuff. Like there's a lot to do on that end. And it's it's amazing how it's, it's also more uh, difficult to deal yeah. with
1: customer service and like you said the fraud and the um the issues of uh you know
0: any People conspiracy making up stuff
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it, 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 and and it's it's harder to implement right so like you and i hop into a draft together and we're going to we're going to scheme right it's not easy for anyone to determine if you are where you are and i'm where i am we're not you know we're not in the same ip we're not even in the same freaking state we're not in the same time zone So like we could, we could do whatever we want to do and figuring out how to handle all of that um, and doing it really well. And like, no one ever, like no one complains because it's done so well and the service is so good. Um, I think it goes, I think it, I think it it flies under the radar and it
0: shouldn't. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, And the other part of scaling too um, is just getting people to try it for the first time. Like best ball is one of those things. It's like football Pringles where like, once you try it yeah. once you want to keep going, you know, but they hear best ball and they don't know what it is. And they might hear it a second time and a third time, how many times do they have to hear it or like, what is the pitch to get them to try it one time, you know, to download the app and get into one draft. Cause I think you can say this and I'm sure the entire chat can, <laughs> once you do one draft, you want to do another draft. And I don't mean that from like a, Hey, it, you know, it was a good thing for me if you draft as many times as possible. It's just fun. It's yep. fun. And I think we need to get rid of this at large, you know, assumption that, you know, fantasy football is just that one draft that you do with friends in the end of August or early September, which I mean, that's always going to be there. But, yep. and it's draft and right it should. now. And it should, it be, should be 100%. That. But you can draft right now to prepare for that instead of these phony mock drafts. Um, and you don't have to manage on a weekly basis. It's all just the drafting part, which people prepare for more than anything else until they give up, you know, in week nine. So figuring out all of that, and I think we've done an incredible job um, in just a year doing that. And again, it speaks to the, the comment I started with where we had more entries in the first 12 hours than we did of any big day last year, which was Labor Day, I think was our biggest entry point last year. we um, till uh, Labor
1: Day this year. Wait till it's, Labor Day this year. I mean, yeah. good lord, man. It's gonna yeah. be absolutely crazy. Um uh as we as we wrap up, you kind of reminded me, um, as we're kind of talking about the future of best ball and everything. What got me, and I've told this story before, I don't know if I've told told you, so I'm gonna tell it again. Apologize to the people that have heard it. What got me truly hooked? So I played best ball back to the and really Apple just the the I did a little bit of MFL ten stuff. The experience wasn't you know that's another thing. Oh the yeah, underdog, the, the well, MFL
0: tens wasn't tournaments. It was just like right. a private draft that you put out. Evan got me into those because when back in the old days of the podcast, he would mentioned like oh and over an MFL tens. So I was like what the hell is this? <laughs> and then the payouts there were crazy in that like if yes. you won, you get a hundred bucks if there were ten dollars entries right MFL tens. Yep. And so mm-hmm. in my brain I'm like I only have to win one out of every ten times to break even. And if I win, you know, five more than that, boom, there's 500 bucks in my pocket. And yep. I loved it my, 10. See, my problem was coming from a, the DFS
1: side of things. It was like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Got it. For, for just the, you know,
0: like. And those I were all slow t- drafts. Those were all slow that's, drafts.
1: Exactly. And so um, the experience wasn't as good. The product was great, actually. But the the experience wasn't as, wasn't as good um, with those. And the, there's no upside. And so um, I think that's important. Right, uh, I'm not saying you have to have 10 million dollars worth of upside, but you have to have some kind of upside. Right, if I'm going to draft in May, there needs to be like a real payoff at the end, not right. 10xing, not 10xing 10 dollars. So, um, I've like I said, I've been, I did, I did some MFL tens, and I, I really got into it in the dra- in the the draft, you know, uh, draft.com um, with Jeremy. That's that that was when I really dove in really heavy. Um, I somehow won um like I didn't make any crazy big money but had a had a solid solid season despite two of my stands being Justice Hill yeah and Dante and Dante Pettis so there I clearly go. have a four have a 49ers issue but um sure I'm surprised both... it wasn't
0: Darwin Thompson
1: no I left that one for Davis got it. darwin 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 got the chief steam um uh, which i guess i i justice hill also got the steam so darwin was the, the 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 18th round pick that was going in like the eighth round by the end of uh draft. That's that true. was that was nuts so um i got into it then and obviously got into underdog the very first year loved it but i it never truly clicked for me like holy shit this is like I'm literally not surprised by what, like the $10 million thing. Like I'm actually not surprised because I've been a believer now for two years or whatever that yeah. like, this is the absolute future of fantasy sports period. But it was what hooked me NBA playoff oh, best, best ball tournaments on underdog because um, you talked about fun and like the part of the fun for me is how the strategy of, of all of it, right? And like going in and having to think through, okay, there's only 16 teams that make the playoffs, but you know, I'm only drafting 10 players. How do you know, what, what, how many players can I actually draft like stacking, right? Everybody kind of understands that, but like how many, because like they're playing series, like this isn't even just like the NFL playoffs. There's seven game series. You could, you could draft both teams that make the finals, but if they sweep everybody along the way, it doesn't matter. Right. And so like this balancing act of all these different variables of a, game that's it's definitely unsolvable but it was clearly unsolvable when we were right. first learning about it and i was just hooked i couldn't i was just I'm, I'm just sitting on my phone just constantly drafting teams because i'm like well what about this scenario exactly your example you finish one and you're like well what about this what if the celtics win what if what if the celtics sweep you know i'm like i really like the celtics but what if they so all of that
0: isn't, um, isn't there something I, to it being unsolvable though like yes. during my fun like i was at roto world when there was the crazy growth of dfs with FanDuel and DraftKings and all that type of stuff. And obviously I would play cash each week and do tournaments and that type of stuff. But Then it got to a point when, you know, you're basically playing 1v1s or 2v2s. And, you know, there are some very patient, smarter, more intelligent people out there than I am that just are totally cool with doing a whole bunch of $50, $10, $20, whatever entries and playing 1v1s and 2v2s and just like slowly building it up that doesn't really get my juices flowing, you know? <laughs> right. And, yep. and uh, people are still out there doing that. That's amazing. But I kind of love on some level that what we are doing is like totally unsolvable. Not just the playoffs that you mentioned in both NBA and, and NFL, but like drafting every summer, it's like we just have conversations that carries us through the entire summer because we're trying to figure this out, you know? And I, I really do feel, that we are also, because there's so much great content out there, a lot of it, no matter what is geared towards, because of the biggest art audience, your home leagues that are probably PPR format, right? And I really feel that best ball half point PPR should be, you know, configured in your brain, thought about processed a bit differently than managed full point Definitely. PPR. Um, and I don't know if we're like at the point yet, and maybe it is the summer when we are like just talking about strategy specific to half point PPR best ball versus like lumping them all together. But that's also difficult. Cause then, you know, people who create content can't do like two separate shows about the two different platforms or the two separate styles. So it's uh, I'm enjoying it. And I, I, I think the uncertainty of the whole thing is, is really does help us in the end.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. The uncertainty. I mean, the uncertainty is everything. The uncertainty in a fun way um,
0: you know, though not like fun, uh, it,
1: yeah it, it's not like um yeah i'm trying to think of uh, uh, uh an example of like uncertainty honestly like usfl is going on right now if anybody got into like the dfs streets of i did not um uh but i know obviously people who did and it's like you literally don't even know who's playing right nonetheless nonetheless who's getting the ball right? Like, like sometimes, you know, this quarterback plays, sometimes this one does, and there's no rhyme or reason, right? There's guys that are on the inactive list getting 25 carries in a game. So like that level of uncertainty isn't good for anybody, but the amount of uncertainty that exists in this game is great for everybody because um, yes, sometimes you're going to come out on the bad end. Sometimes you're going to come out on the good end. Right. And it, it, it that, that uncertainty creates strategy and creates um, opportunity. Um, and so um, I, I couldn't possibly be more excited for it now, before we wrap up, because that uncertainty had me thinking of the last thing I was going to ask you this specific 2022 NFL season, this, this off season, like you want to talk about creating uncertainty. Uh, have we ever seen this much movement in an NFL oh. off season that changed, right? That changed the entire NFL landscape, Tyree kill. Uh, right. Devonte Adams, Russell Wilson on down the list, AJ Brown, just recently. What, what is your like grand takeaway for like, if you had to put a theme or like, a, or a prediction or what are you thinking about heading into like right now, obviously it's early, but like yeah. after the draft, what were you like? Oh my God. Like this is, this is what I think the season is going to be like. Um,
0: yeah, uh, I think it's really easy to start talking yourself and believing into like the player that is going to outperform the bad team that he's on. And it absolutely happens. Like the Brandon cooks is of the world. The Amon am Ross St. Brown's like there's a whole bunch of different ways production can happen. And in fact, like thinking back last year to Deandre Swift and how he was exploding week after week. So many of that was only in like the second half of the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter when they were down by like 20 something mm-hmm. points and he creates, you know, a 60 yard touchdown in the passing yep. game. So like, how much of that production that he created early on last season, when he was having those 20 something point weeks is replaceable, like is, is replicable repeatable when they might be more competitive this year, you know? So even getting into those nuances of game flow and game script and what the production was in those versus, you know how these teams might change. Yeah. I mean, to answer your question um, I don't know if I have a really good answer because, yeah. ADPs are still being set right now, you know? like It's crazy.
1: The the opinions are all over the place.
0: Right, like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Water are still being drafted as like top 12 wide receivers, you know? Um, The one player who stands out to me, if we can just like be really specific in this. Yep. If we expect Deshaun Watson to miss, I don't know, four, six, eight games, the Cleveland Browns are also a team that, as of this moment, have too much invested in the running back spot for how they run their organization.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kareem Hunt's contract, no guaranteed money left. Yep. I wouldn't cut. be surprised if it's a free cut or a trade or something that happens. Maybe they keep him. Who knows? But of course I have to come on your show and talk about the running back 10. But <laughs> there is an avenue where to me, Nick Chubb in the first half of the season, like leads the league in carries and I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's factoring in like Alvin Kamara is going as running back eight Um, at the very least. I think we need to flip him and and Nick Chubb. And I think Nick Chubb, we always talk about this because he splits backfields and yada, yada, yada. But I think there's a major difference between, and this is hypothetical at this point, Nick Chubb and cream hunt versus Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson. And the latter I think is what we will be getting. And I mean, talk about big plays plus volume. Plus a healthy offensive line compared to last year. And uh I'm I'm would hate to miss up an opportunity where I advocate for you taking a running back who's going in like round two. So
1: so you gave me the opportunity to pull up. I am you will be surprised as a, a, a running back hater and particularly a running back hater who does not catch passes traditionally. I'm I'm fairly in on, on Nick Chubb. He is yeah, I know you said he's going at running back ten, and he is currently my my running back ten. I have a couple of uh, I'm very high on 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 Saquon and Javante. He's at
0: running in, back thirteen. Saquon is an underdog right now.
1: In 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 particular, I uh, we don't need to get into my whole rankings process, but um, I I try to take very large stands on the guys. Yeah, I love these James um,
0: Conner and Leonard Fournette. Well, you don't have Leonard Fournette out there, but I love the James Connor. Yeah,
1: he's stands. he's right here. So twelve RB twelve. Yeah. So. Uh, but same, if you wanted to, if you wanted same four net, same thing. If you wanted to move, move them up. Um, I'm pretty aggressive on the running back stuff, the wide, the wide receiver stuff. I'm, um, I'm so so on. But um, I think you talked about the half point PPR thing. That's something I'm, I'm definitely making sure that I try to embrace a little, a little bit more and thinking through uh, some of those contingencies. Like you said, with with Kareem Kareem Hunt being gone even when cream hunt was hurt last year, they didn't specifically use Chubb in like quite the role that I was, I was kind of hoping for. Cause I did invest a little bit into him just to, just to, to kind of cover my, my ass on a, a, what I thought was maybe a bad take. I think but, he
0: was also coming off injury too, if I'm
1: remembering correctly. And and I just think tying ourselves too much to little things that happened in the past um can get us into trouble when like Nick Chubb is the, maybe the best pure runner in football. He's the most efficient runner in football. Like let's just not,
0: I don't want to leave with zero percent Nick Chubb. I feel like that would be foolish right. is basically especially a team uh, that like wants to use so many tight ends and different personnel groupings and like literally it's Amari Cooper and David Bell at wide receiver at this moment, and like that's all that we're talking about. Um I talk myself into it every year, but I think there's a real avenue for again a top five start to the season for Nick Chubb. So
1: can I can I get a cosign on uh on David Bell then? What, yeah. about, what about David Bell? Are you, well, are I you mean, a David Bell guy as a
0: prospect? They're, they're going to play him in the slot. And again, what what the Browns, the deal that they made for Mark Cooper, like immediately, 24 hours later, looked like a bargain in comparison to what all these other wide receivers are yeah. getting paid and how much they had to give up, like what, a fifth round pick to get him. Yep. Um, and look, there's still these veterans that are moving and maybe one lands there and hopefully one does. But yeah, I mean, if he shows anything, David Bell should be a starter on that team.
1: Well, let's hope because my money, my current, uh, it's only a, it's not a ton of money yet, but it's going to be a lot of money because I'm not going to stop drafting him. Um, I hope you're drafting a lot of
0: James Conner right now because he's going as running back 18 on, and you have him as like running back eight. I think I saw. Yes, that's correct.
1: James Conner is, uh, is James Conner is one of my guys. Uh, We talked about Saquon, Javante, um, I'm I'm about a, a close close to the market with with Fournette, which is like, isn't this wild? Last year, like we would have like I I would have thrown up of me saying these things, right? Like all these running backs. Saquon Barkley on the Giants with Daniel Jones as his quarterback, like you're gonna be overweight on him. Like uh Leonard Fournette, you weren't drafting him in the 14th round and he's your running back twelve. What are we doing here? You know, Three just but, quickly. Um, it does, it's it it changes quickly. So last prediction, one more prediction. The winning stack. What oh if you had to pick so last year it was Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase.
0: Yeah, but let me tell you this. If we're talking regular season, which well, now you could do both a regular you a million season. dollars. The regular yes. season last year winner stacked the hell out of the bucks. Like yeah, multiple yeah. rounds early, selected Buccaneers players. Um so that's something all, to keep in mind had, that had now like we're all of them, that. right? Well, we drafted like Evans, Gronk. And Gronk about three rounds early and Fournette about three rounds early, like literally three rounds. Um, and they dominated the regular season. So
1: not rushing Casey. Um, Casey says basically Eric is saying, Saquon leave the league in rushing. Uh, no, but, um, I'm buying Brian Dayball, and I'm Brian, I'm buying, uh, I'm buying Saquon health and all, all that
0: fun. So stuff. I, I think if you wanted to. God, and, that, and that's a bit different. I mean, stacking the Chiefs right now is pretty easy if you eliminate Travis Kelsey from your brain. Which and wide receiver we, then? Yeah, well, we don't have to, you know, decide anymore between Travis Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill in round one, which is a big conversation in previous years. I mean, you could easily get Mahomes of the quarterback too. And I we're gonna have a conversation all summer long about, you know, taking quarterbacks earlier now versus our brains and you know, season-long yep. leagues of what we could replace week on week. Juju's wide receiver 37, which is really early in comparison to, like, MVS at wide receiver 57 and Sky Moore at wide receiver 52. You could easily get all three of those players, plus Patrick Mahomes, and roll, and roll from there. So may, if you want to sprinkle in a CE running back 28 versus where <laughs> he was, like, what, running back 12 or 13 last year. Yep. Um, That's just an offense that I think, if we remember the second half of last season, Learned how to attack those two high shells. Yep. But on top of that, Patrick Mahomes was still top three in the league in terms of 20 plus yard passing attempts. So while they probably even set themselves up better this year to attack the spacing underneath that defense is going to give them in the passing game, Mahomes is still going to launch it down the field and create big plays (laughs) doing that outside of structure and inside of structure too. So, Going through those growing pains last year I think is going to pay off in like the diversity that we get in their wide receiver room this year, and it's already at a discount that we can get all four of those pieces if we wanted to, and basically every single draft that we're doing right now.
1: I, I love that take. I love um, both you and Hayden's take about, about MVS. I couldn't possibly agree more. He's right there with – um, in terms of undervalued guys, him, David Bell was another one of my, and here's, my a, undervalued here, here's a comment guys. on that.
0: Cause we still, no matter what, get comments about MVS. And I think part of it is cause he drops the ball on Monday night football, you know, for a 60 yard touch and all that stuff. Um, he he'll give you zeros. Guess what? It's best ball. Um, he'll give you four 20 point weeks that help you win that week and are points on the board instead of 10, seven and a half to eight and a half point weeks that maybe will give you like a little bit of floor on one or two of those. I'd much rather have those four to five to maybe even six. And who knows what he's going to be like with Patrick Mahomes on those 20 yard or 20 point games. Um, Cause we've seen him in the past. So that, that that's where I'm at. And he's already climbed three wide receiver spots in 24 hours. So
1: he's, he's going to keep, he's going to keep climbing. Um, and I think, and I think he should, the, the MVS is a perfect example of a guy. I think uh, people, people get take locked on because of what they've seen. From him, like the perfect example, right? He drop drops a sixty yard touchdown. We remember that Rodgers is pissed, right? It's Monday Night Football. MVS drops an easy touchdown. Rodgers throws the you know chin strap down, is motherfucking him, you know, under his breath, and we all see that. And then he won't throw to him, then because Rogers is Rodgers. Now he's not going to throw to that guy. Devonte Adams is going to get the next twelve targets, and 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 it is what it is. But like, there's a skill in earning that 60, that, that, yeah. that, 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 that target. And Patrick Mahomes is not going to go away from him. Right. If he, and if P- Patrick, Mahomes, if anything, he's going to go back to him more than maybe than he should. Cause that's what, that's how he plays.
0: Look at the money. They gave him like $25 million. Like this isn't just some like scrub that they just added at the end of free agency. Like this is a critical piece to them that they like separated the things of what Tyreek can do and put it in multiple wide receivers. And like they have built, you know, a wide receiver room that have different traits now. So I'm going to talk about this a lot this summer. But yeah. that is that is definitely one that I'm uh, that I'm throwing out there. So
1: any 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 other ones that have stuck out to you in the first two days? Of yeah, I mean, a- Allen Robinson,
0: where he's going? I tweeted this out. Um, he's going as wide receiver 34. If you remember what Odell did last year, he had 12 targets, eight receptions, and eight touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. Um, that was where he made the difference for the Rams because Cooper cup gets doubled or at least shaded. Tyler Higbee was one of like the least efficient players inside on his red zone targets in the league. And they had trouble, you know, running the ball and, and, you know, doing those quarterback sneaks with Matthew Stafford that like the difference that Odell made in playing big and small and isolated coverage near the goal line, by the way, the Rams throw almost more than anyone else other than like Tom Brady inside the goal line or inside the 10 yard line, I should say. So, Allen Robinson, I think, is going to have the most touchdowns of his career since 2015. He had 14 wow. that season, but ever since then, it's been like six or eight or zero or wherever else we are in between there. And so uh, double-digit touchdowns for for Allen Robinson that you can get at wide receiver 34. I, I don't love how he played last year. I thought he was like lethargic and slow and, and molasses and all that stuff, but um, that is the key area that the Rams are missing in their offense this year is like the guy who makes four-point plays, turning field goals into touchdowns. And uh, I think Allen Robinson has the best bet to do that in the team.
1: Just need him to pull a James Harden uh, getting his way out of Houston. Not current James Harden because current James Harden sucks. But uh, James Harden is mad in Houston. Allen Robinson was mad in Chicago. And then all of a sudden, guess what? He gets recruited by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to come play for the Brooklyn Nets. Allen Robinson is now with Matthew Stafford and McVay and Cooper Cup and all these guys. It's like, huh. I'm not going to be playing lethargic anymore on uh the Super Bowl champs with the uh, with all these guys.
0: So. Some might say uh it can't get any worse. That's what we call the the AJ Green. Uh, <laughs> you had to get a goddamn AJ
1: Green reference I mean, before we got here. He out had of usable
0: a. weeks <laughs> as a round 18 selection last year.
1: I know, you know. I know. I know. I'm not I'm not sure. Okay, Casey. This is how I know we've gone too long and it's time when two 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 Atwell references are, are coming in and AJ Green references are coming in. But um Josh, thank you. This was a this was a lot of fun. I got to nerd out selfishly because uh um I was huge into the, all the stuff that you talked about um and got to experience obviously that i did not, you know, I was certainly not in any draft rooms, but that was um a huge part of, of my you know growing up in in football. And I think part of what makes this whole best ball space really fun is uh, you know, I joke about it and other people joke about it. We'll talk about it plenty over the next few months with player takes and all that kind of stuff. But that's what makes it fun. If you don't have, if you don't, if you don't, you're not here to like be excited about a player, whether it's because you like him because of film or analytics or whatever, like eh, what's even the point you probably should just find another hobby. So um, this was a lot of fun for me. Um, Anything that you guys have, coming up that you want to mention before we go
0: just again I want to shout out the team over at underdog pretty pretty special group we have i mentioned support awesome marketing awesome on like sizing they're great engineering side does such a good job of making it flow and be easy to use and all that jazz um and then yeah i mean the design the design group where brought in luke lovett who i actually went to college with and mm-hmm. he's making all the video animations and all that type of stuff that you see, plus Katie and Kathleen on that end. So just shout out to uh, to everyone on the team because Hayden and I get like to be the lucky ones to talk about it and kind of like be the front-facing stuff, but then everyone in the back end makes it all churn and, and do really well. So we couldn't do it without them.
1: 100%. Perfect way to sign it off. I will be back tomorrow. I already forget what time, but it's on the website, spikeweek.com. Media schedule is in the upper right. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Josh and Hayden are back tomorrow at, at some point, I believe reviewing 3, o'clock Eastern. three o'clock NFC offenses uh, yep. from the draft. Yep. yep. Or NFC teams from, from the draft. And then I'll be back in the, the draft stream streets on Friday. That's Mondays and Fridays for me. So uh, until, until next time you probably already follow Josh, you probably already go to watch underdog show, but if you don't see them tomorrow and then I will see you guys tomorrow too. Later.